0: Looking for practical information to help you make decisions about your diagnosis, whether DCIS, early or metastatic breast cancer? BCNA's My Journey features articles, webcasts, videos and podcasts about breast cancer during treatment and beyond to help you, your friends and family as you progress through your journey. It also features a symptom tracker to help you manage the changing symptoms you may encounter during your own breast cancer experience. My Journey. Download the app or sign up online at myjourney.org.au.
1: Let's be upfront about young women with breast cancer and how their challenges and considerations differ from older women with the disease. For women under 40, a breast cancer diagnosis can have a huge impact on their body image and discussions about fertility before treatment are really important, regardless of whether you've decided to have children in the future or not. And what about after treatment? Returning to work, relationships and pregnancy, it's not easy. One woman who knows all about these challenges having lived them is Sally Obermeter. Sally is a well-known TV presenter and co-founder of the enormously successful fashion, beauty and lifestyle website and online store Swish. It all sounds really glamorous, but Sally isn't afraid to talk about the tough times she went through and we're delighted to have her on Upfront today. Welcome
2: Sally. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's great to speak to you.
1: When you were diagnosed with breast cancer. You were pregnant with your first child. Can you take us through how you dealt with that shock?
2: Um, I was um, I was basically forty weeks pregnant. It was a touch overdue. Um, I felt really healthy I felt well I'd had a great pregnancy it was um, you know enjoyable I had heaps of energy I didn't feel sick I didn't feel anything actually and I was at a routine appointment with my obstetrician when I mentioned that I had a, um, a lump in my breast which I presumed was my body getting ready for breastfeeding I was like it's probably a blocked milk duct it was kind of I mean cancer was the furthest thing from my mind I have no family history of it I didn't really know anyone who'd ever had it. It was just not on my radar at all. So when I went to my uh, breast cancer check the following day, it still kind of wasn't on my mind. They gave me, you know, they did a, a mammogram and they did a biopsy and another biopsy and I just was in a bubble where I just didn't think anything. And when the lady sat me down, and Marcus at this stage had joined us and said, Listen, you have a very aggressive cancer, and we're going to make you have this baby tomorrow, and you'll have to start treatment. You need chemotherapy uh, within basically within the week. And it was, it was, I mean, like, it's like the world just fell out from under me and it was a terrible way to have a baby. I do think I might have asked a question about, listen, you know, what if I want to have another baby? And it was pretty quickly, not I don't want to say shot down um, because that's, that makes it sound like they didn't care. But it was like, listen, you have to survive first. Like you, like we first, we've got to get you to live, you know, and then that was it. At that point then I was like, okay, I don't. This is not something I can be like. Um, oh, I wonder what my options might be around this or whatever. It was like, listen, this is it. This is make or break now. Wow. So, with mm. having had
1: Annabelle, I assume your husband had to step up and take care of mm. a, a newborn. Did your Did your hopes of breastfeeding yeah. and all those other first? You know, weeks. Yeah, the, the whole
2: first, first everything was out the door basically. So um, breastfeeding was, they let me do one feed. It was the colostrum feed and then that was it. And then there was like, listen, that's it. You have to take the pill now to um, stop the milk coming in. And that was like quite, you know, quite heartbreaking. And I think that's sort of the, one of the things that happens. It's not that sort of that in isolation by itself, is is deeply heartbreaking. It's just a series of things that keep happening when you're on this roller coaster. that happen every day of things that get taken from you. So this must
1: have had a devastating effect as a young couple too.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it changed. I mean, it definitely changed us. It was good because we didn't pull apart. We pulled together. Um, we were very blessed to be have a lot of support from um, my sister, who I'm incredibly close to. My mum and dad were amazing. And I have a great group of girlfriends that also really ra- rallied around um, me and us. And so that was really helpful. And I think also what was good was that Marcus is, was and is very emotional and very understanding and very empathetic. So I think that that was helpful. Uh, but the strain is still huge. You've, I think the strain's huge anyway when you've got a new baby and the sleeplessness and the up all night and all that kind of stuff, but it's balanced by the joy. So what
1: did bring you joy during that time?
2: Even though it was a very difficult time, the thing that was, I think, just gave me the most um, peace and joy was being able to hold Annabelle. And it was whenever I needed um, almost like an injection of happiness, I would just hold her so tight. And I think in those moments sometimes you can almost, like if I fell asleep in the chair with her in my arms, I would forget that there was anything going on, you know. And I was able to, once I initially sort of I think got over my – self-perceived shame of asking for help I actually became quite good at saying here's what I need and it was and I really made a point of saying what is it that would make me happy in a time of seemingly otherwise a lot of unhappiness what would make me happy and like I'm a big foodie I love a restaurant and I still wanted to go out and eat particularly in my kind of non-chemo cycles and i was and i'd be like okay girls can we please go for a girls lunch and can we please still go out and or i really like i'm a massive movie buff so i would be like can we please get together and watch a movie or can someone come and sit with me on the couch and so asking people for what i needed and not what they thought i might need helped them but it also helped me because i was like i'm going to feed in a way my soul with stuff that makes me happy i can't control a lot of things but i can control the stuff that gives me joy And I'm going to actively not only seek it out, but I'm I'm going to actively ask the people around me to help me, help me create that for myself.
1: And how long was your treatment for?
2: Um, I had chemo. um, So the first thing that I had was chemo for around about, I think, nine months, you know, like it was sort sort of, okay, all right. So she gave me three months and then she said to me, it's not enough you need to do another six. And that was really tough. It was really tough because I felt like the goalpost had moved and it's really hard to go, oh, my gosh, I'm going to, I've still got so much more of this to go. So, did almost, And I think that's
1: quite common for a lot of women is that that's what uh, the medical professionals do. They have to sometimes change the goalposts in your best interest. But when you've already set your mind to either a certain date or a certain regime, it can be destabilizing,
2: can't it? Completely destabilizing. I think that's such a good word because you're sort of going, okay, like I remember I felt like I was literally crawling to the finish line of what I thought was the last chemo. And then to hear there's still another, I think she might've split it up into three months and then another three months. I'm a little hazy now, but I just remember being another six after that. But it's really hard because it's not... It doesn't get any easier, you know, and I think that's the hard part. You have to voluntarily choose to go to the chemo. No one's going to drag you there. No one's going to make you do it. You have to choose. You've got to choose to go and you've got to find the strength within you to go and to front up and to keep going. And that's the hard part. You know, that's Mm. the really hard part. You've got to just keep going.
1: Now, you required a double mastectomy. Was
2: that before the chemo
1: or after?
2: So I did the chemo first, then I did a single mastectomy on the right side, which was the side with the lump. Um, then I did my radiation. Then I came back and had a mastectomy on the other side and then the recon.
1: So and why didn't you have uh, the double at the same time? Was was it not a possibility,
2: yeah, it wasn't a possibility because they I was just too weak, essentially. I was way too weak after all of the um after all the chemo, and I wanted to have the recon at the same time as the mastectomy because I was really. I, 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 as I think most people are just struggling with the idea of a mastectomy, you know, I really struggled and I found it so hard to wrap my head around this, this notion of essentially having your breasts, you know, cut off, you know, that was really hard for me. Mm. And I had asked at the time if I could have, you know, I was like, well, I could probably get my head around it if I can have the mastectomy and the reconstruction at the same time. But that was a no-go. Either way, obviously, with someone
1: being young, body image is just another sort of slap in the face, isn't it? Huge When it comes to having to have your breasts removed. And then you've also had to Exist with just one breast for six months, is that right?
2: It was. I had a period of, um, yeah, it must have been around about six, yeah, it must have been a bit under six months, probably. And yes, that was really, really, um, really hard. And I think, in a way, harder than I realized the shame that I felt, which I think is a surprising emotion. So I. In the chemo period, I'd lost my hair, I'd lost my eyelashes, I'd lost my eyebrows, I already felt like I'd lost my entire identity, I felt like I didn't look like myself, I didn't feel like myself. To have this emotion which I definitely was not prepared for, so I expected to feel um, awkward, I expected to feel um, kind of I don't know if botched is the right word, but I, even though I'm not saying the surgery was botched, but I expected to feel botched, you know, having one breast taken off and one still there. But the the emotion I didn't expect was shame. And I somehow felt ashamed as though, I don't know why, I I don't I don't know why I felt ashamed. And I remember this one particular day walking down my kind of local street to get a coffee and I had a cardigan on and I kept kind of pulling it over my breast, like where the breast was taken, even though it was already covered, I kept pulling it over and over and I was sort of saying to myself, I'm so ashamed, I'm so ashamed. And then I was like, well, but why? If yeah, you like it was
1: somehow you're doing.
2: Yeah, it was somehow my doing. And I was kind of having this sort of inner dialogue and I was like, well, if I now walked past the street and saw somebody with an arm missing or a leg missing, would I would I like what feeling would I have towards them? And I was like, well would I think that they should be ashamed and I was like well no I wouldn't but yet somehow I feel ashamed that I'm less of a person that I'm less of a woman and I wasn't even referring to like within my relationship I just meant like just generally as a person I felt like less than and it was a very confronting feeling and I was like this is a very like you would if this was your best friend you'd be saying you're mad you're not less than anything you're just as perfect as you were before you know so yeah it was an interesting one to grapple with and I definitely grappled with it and it took me a little while to wrap my head around this is now me you know this is now me and there's a period where I think you have to go through the grief before you get to the acceptance where you go okay this is just it now
0: BCNA's online network is an active peer-to-peer support community where people affected by breast cancer can find information and connect with others who understand what you're going through read posts, write your own, ask a question, start a discussion and support others. The online network is available for you at every stage of your breast cancer journey, as well as your family, partner and friends. For more information, visit bcna.org.au forward slash online network.
1: So you've certainly, you've hit a rock bottom, there's no doubt about it. Things appear like they couldn't have got any worse how did you manage to get up again to the point that you were ready to consider having another baby
2: Mm -hmm. um it's funny like time is a bit of a healer it's not a complete healer because i do think in a sense the the trauma stays with you. It's just what I call like it kind of bubbles away under the surface but seemingly as if it's not there but it kind of is there. But it is a little bit of a healer in that it does allow you to that that acceptance. The more time that passes, the more you go, okay, this is now me, scars and all, all of it, you know, like, yes, I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, wow, there is so many scars in here, you know but that's just who I am and so then what you start to go is okay but who am I on the inside and what is it that's important to me and for me what was really important was to try to have another child and that um when sort of I guess Marcus and I sort of first talked about it he was like well look why don't we just sort of give it a Breast and just see where we're at, you know. Because I think I might have raised it pretty early, like once I got the all clear. It didn't matter how much time I let pass, my desire for it um just it just didn't wane. And I think it also helped um probably by the fact that Annabelle really wanted a sibling. You know, she was always saying, you know, like I really want a brother or sister, I really want a sibling. Everyone else has one, I really want one. So I think you know that also was a factor and like I'm incredibly close to my sister and so and I thought well I have those embryos you know if I didn't have them I would have let it go but I had Mm. the embryos I was like well it's just here waiting and then another baby girl another baby girl you have two beautiful girls Two girls, they're five years apart because it took a while for the surrogate process to work. Um, and, and that process, I think, you know, sometimes people say things, you know, like I think like we all do well intentionally, like, oh, surrogate, that's great. Like it's so easy because then you don't have to carry or like, oh, how awesome, you don't put on any baby weight or whatever. But it's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I know, but it's like there's so much uh, – like, whilst I feel very fortunate, very fortunate to have been able to have a child via a surrogate, I do still feel That wasn't good, your like, choice either. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. I loved being pregnant. I feel so sad. And I think particularly because the first pregnancy ended, you know, in such a sort of a, uh, a kind of a bad way and I didn't get that sort of new motherhood experience, I also I think I wonder whether I was keen to, have another turn and have it go right, you know. So this was the the best compromise. And you know what, it was one of the most joyous experiences. And when people ask me, you know, do you recommend having a surrogate? I I say wholeheartedly, hand on heart, it's the best thing I've ever done.
1: Mm. I guess for women that are about to undergo treatment to a young... It really is important to consider future pregnancies and whilst that wasn't an option for you, it is still a really important discussion to have though, isn't it? And it's amazing how even though you just given birth... your immediate reaction was like, am I going to be able to have any more?
2: That's right. And I do think it is really, really important. I think it's so important because even though at the time you might be in the midst of thinking it doesn't matter, you should still ask the question because you want to have all your options. Because when the time, when you're further down the track and the immediacy of treatment and you're through it, um, you know, um, then you'll want to know, yep. You know what? I'm glad I asked the questions. I'm glad I got my options. I'm glad I saved my eggs or even if I didn't, I'm still glad I asked. I'm glad I did. I'm glad I knew what my options were so that I don't look back with regret. And I do think that's really important.
1: Mm. So we've talked a bit about body image and like you were saying, it's, people are very well-meaning. It must be very easy for members of the community, even your friends, to look at, at you now and go, wow, isn't your life a dream? And it all looks so shiny on the outside. Yeah. But yeah. like you said, you, you have changed. What are some of the things that still worry you if in fact they do? Do you worry about recurrence? Yeah. How do you stay positive?
2: Yeah, I do worry about recurrence, definitely. I think it is, um, like I said, I think it's a bit under the surface most days, you know, like you... Probably, or I certainly don't sort of consciously think of it unless I'm triggered by something. Um, but but assuming like I'll separate it out. Assuming there's no trigger, it's kind of just below the surface. I don't sort of think about it too much. But what I do find is it has just changed my outlook, and therefore that changes all of my actions. So I'm very conscious now of um, life being short, nothing being kind of a given, nothing's a guarantee. Whereas I think a little bit before. Cancer. I was like, oh, I'll live to 95. I'll have like 10 kids and 400 grandkids, and I'll be on my, you know, porch in my rocking chair. Like, I just had a very optimistic um, outlook for a length of life and a health of life, you know, whereas now I totally feel like I have no idea what tomorrow brings you know because I remember the day I was diagnosed was very much like any other fab morning I got up I made a coffee you know like it's just very normal and yet the world can fall out from under you on any given day you know I work and we do the news every single day and every day my thought is all of those people did not know that that's how their day would end very much like when you get your cancer diagnosis you just don't know that that's happening to you that day you know and so now for me what it does is it drives all of my decision making into um you know is this for the greater good is this something that makes me happy is this for the you know the good of my family you know is this something that I'll be proud of when I put my head on the pillow tonight and go yep I I did something wonderful like these are things that drive my decision making in a way I'm also much more much more brave and much more fearless because I'm like ain't got no time ain't got no time to be second guessing stuff (laughs) Um, but I'm also filled with a deep gratitude because every day that I have is a day I didn't think I'd get you know and Mm. that is with me very, very deeply. And then in terms of being triggered, well, if I get triggered, yeah, I'm like anyone, you know, I can be a I can be a heaving mess, you know. Um, I lost a friend last year you to know, ovarian cancer and it was so upsetting. You know, if I go to visit somebody, sometimes a friend who's had a baby in the maternity ward can be surprisingly triggering, you know. Sometimes certain smells, like every now and then randomly I'll say to Marcus, oh my God, I can smell chemo, you know, like, because when I was doing chemo, I could smell the chemo coming out of my skin. It would be this smell that he couldn't smell or no one else could smell, but it was, I could smell it and it would drive me crazy. And I'd be scrubbing my body, trying to get this, what I felt was like this chemo stench off. And I suspect it was probably in my nostrils. And every now and then randomly I'll have this, like, I'll be like, I can smell chemo. Oh my God, I can smell it. You know, but there isn't anything. It's obviously just like latent trauma that's just under the surface somewhere. And, and it will send me into a little bit of a meltdown. I'll cry about it. I'll be like, oh my God, that was shit, you know? And then I'll pick myself back up and go, well, I'm lucky to be alive. And off I go. Mm -hmm. So there
1: would undoubtedly be many women listening to you who are actually in the thick of it or are at some other stage along their timeline what are the, some of the things that you've learned that you could share with them because there's nothing like someone that's actually that gets it
2: yeah you get uh, it yeah i get it i get it i would say um Like speak up for what you want and need from your family and friends because I think as women we are used to nurturing and caring for other people. So part of us is like, oh, no, don't worry about that. That's sort of my job or we don't want to appear – um, troublesome or a burden or any of those things, and this and this I found this very hard, you know because I also didn't want to be um the cancer person in my group of friends or whatever, but I learned I think maybe because I had a baby, I was like I just have got to put this kind of pride or this kind of I don't know whatever it was aside, and I've got to just be able to say this is what I need, I need you to come and sit with me while I watch a movie I need you to come and and listen to me talk about how I'm afraid or I need you to come and sit with me but please let's not talk about cancer or like just say what it is you need because the people who love you are desperately scratching their head trying to think of what they can do to love and support you and their love and support is helpful it's it's not medicine but it's helpful it's the pixie dust you know and you need it to power you on to keep going through your treatment because treatment's shit and you need that love and so just tell them they just want to know so I think that's really important and I think also just being kind to ourselves like if you are feeling like you know what, I'm doing my treatment and I do not want to cook because the stench of cooking is making me feel sick from the chemo or whatever. Just say it, you know, and take whatever you need to get yourself through it. And I also am also big on um, going to therapy because in this particular time because I think it's such a complicated time and it's filled with so much emotion and I do feel like as much as you can offload on to the people you love – you naturally have a, re- a resistant barrier because you don't want to worry them, hurt them. You can't say all the things that you probably want to say. And I think having an impartial person that you can dump on is so healthy for your treatment.
1: Well, thank you, Sally, for being so upfront
2: with us today, but also for being a long time supporter of BCNA anything for you guys I you guys were there for me during my um during my journey and I would never I I could never repay you enough so if there's ever anything I can do and you know what I think this is one of those things that we're all in together you know we really are the sisterhood is in this together
1: Thanks Sally. And if you'd like more information about young women and breast cancer download BCNA's online tool There's also a fantastic video resource specifically on fertility that you can find on our website bcna.org.au This episode of Upfront is with thanks to Suzanne and the opinions of all our guests are welcome but not necessarily shared by BCNA For any individual concerns or advice please contact your health team. And you can help others find us by leaving a review wherever you have downloaded this podcast. I'm Kelly Curtin. It's good to be up front with you.